recruitment professionals, we know how challenging it can be to recruit specialty positions. When working with limited budgets and on short timelines, it is crucial to be as targeted and efficient as possible. In this podcast series, AAPPR connects to specialty medical associations and physicians to learn how recruitment professionals can build a strategy. We'll hear about the trends, considerations, and tips that are the key to successful specialty recruitment. Hi, I'm Liz Mahan, Physician Recruitment Advisor at AAPPR, and today I'm joined by Dr. Joy Baker and Dr. Jessie Fauntleroy, both members of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and we're here to talk about recruiting for OBGYN. Welcome. Thank you both so much for joining us. I'd like to start by asking you both to tell us a little bit about your background and what attracted you to the specialty. Well, um, this is uh, Jesse Fauntleroy. I have always wanted to um, go into the specialty. Um, I always loved babies growing up and said, one day I'm going to do that. And I never changed, even though, you know, going through medical school and residency and experiencing all the different parts of medicine, um, I knew that um, if you could wake me up at four o'clock in the morning to do something and I love to do it, then this was the specialty for me. I tell people all the time, if you don't love it, don't do it because you will not be good at it and you will not do your best at it. So that is basically why I chose to be an obstetrician gynecologist. We appreciate having you join us today. Dr. Baker, how about you? What initially attracted you to the specialty? Well, I have known since I was very small that I wanted to to be a physician. I, I always kind of knew that. But I started out wanting to do general surgery, believe it or not. And I was, you know, president of the surgical society in med school and doing all of these extra rotations and shadowing. But I realized as I got into my fourth year that um, I really didn't like surgery outside of the institution where I was trained. So that was interesting. Um, And I, you know, kind of had a gut check of like, wow, you know, I don't think that I'm going in the right direction. I need to do something different. And so interestingly enough, um, rewind back to the first year of medical school, my my dean um, had told me, you know, I think you're going to do OB. You have the personality for OB. And I was just like, you're crazy. There's no way I would do OB. But um, when I got into my clinical rotations and I had an opportunity to actually deliver a baby, um, I think that that really started that change in me that, hey, you know, I want to do something. And I was doing um, what are called sub-internships, which are kind of fourth year rotations that we do in medical school. And I was doing a, a surgical critical, a surgery critical care uh, rotation. And then I thought to myself, this is not, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I, I want to do something happy where most people survive. <laughs> so uh, I um, went back and talked with my dean and she said, hey, are you ready to, to start working with some OBGYNs? And I was like, yes, I am. And I don't regret it. I'm so glad that I was able to, to move into OBGYN. That's amazing. The dean knew best. <laughs> she did. They call her the Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. So 
could you tell our members a little bit about the training for OBGYN physicians? Dr. Fontlaurie, Dr. why don't I start with you? So the training involves um, at least, you know, four years of um, undergraduate education, followed by four years of um, medical school, um, which in you choose your specialty around that third year part and enter a process called the match, uh, where you match into the specialty. Uh, then you go through your four years of OBGYN residency. Um, in which uh, during that last year you, or the third to fourth year, choose whether you want to enter um, a fellowship for to specialize in one of the areas or um, basically go out into the workforce. So um, that is the process of um, becoming an OBGYN. Excellent. And what are some of the most significant considerations for obstetricians and gynecologists when they start thinking about practice opportunities after their training is complete? Dr. Baker, why don't we start with you? I always, when I'm talking to residents or folks who are getting ready to go into practice, I really like to dig into what their needs are personally, uh, because if your personal life is not is not going to be agreeable with the with the position that you choose, um, it's not going to go well. So if you are someone who really values time at home with family, if you're someone who really values being able to travel when you want, you know those sorts of things, you really have to think about that before you choose a position. For me, I knew I wanted to go outside of a metropolitan city and I wanted to work with underserved populations. So that meant that I, I also knew that there might not be access to a lot of the things that I was used to having access to, like theaters and restaurants and, you know, nightlife. But because that was one of my priorities, I was able to navigate that change easily, uh, moving from Atlanta to rural Georgia. Um, but it was really a decision that I was able to make based off of what my values were and what I wanted to see um, in terms of my professional career. So what your values are really need to guide the type of position that you select. If you know you're not gonna be happy outside of a metro metropolitan city, there's no need for you to go somewhere rural and um, you might, you know, perhaps they're offering more money, but you're going to be miserable and you have no place to go to spend the money. So uh, I always say whatever your values are um, should really guide you so that you will be able to find a happy medium between the things you love and the opportunities that are available to you. Excellent. And Dr. Fontlore, I'll come to you. Are there clinical considerations that you think about? I know I, I know I see you agreeing with Dr. Baker in terms of thinking about lifestyle and location and things like that. But are there clinical considerations that come to mind? So some of the clinical considerations that um, would come into mind uh, when I went out to interview for different positions, um, I knew that I liked robotic surgery. Um, so I looked for places where they had um, a robot so that I could uh, perform robotic surgeries. Um, even during my interviews, I asked what type of instruments they use during surgical procedures. Um, I asked about uh, my clinic schedule, you know, how much um, uh, obstetrics versus gynecology in the practice. 
um, because that was important too. I didn't want a gynecology heavy practice because I really love the OB side. Um, and so I did not want to go somewhere where they would tell me, well, it's 70% uh, GYN and only 30% OB. That would not be the position for me and I wouldn't be happy. So um, those were some clinical uh, considerations uh, when that I took into consideration when I was looking for a job. Thank you so much. I would agree with Dr. Fotleroy. Certainly knowing what you're getting yourself into is important. And I find that a lot of folks who are just coming out of training don't necessarily know how to navigate that yet in terms of you know getting the things that they really want out of their practice during that whole process of looking for a position. Uh, so you know just taking time to develop a friend of mine um, kind of bullied me into making a personal mission statement and asking, you know, what do you really want to see from your professional career? And that was so very helpful because it will allow me to to see if the position that I was interviewing for lined up with the, the personal mission that I had. And, um, you know, if my personal mission is to decrease maternal morbidity and mortality, then I need to go to places that have higher rates of morbidity and mortality and see what I can do to help implement new systems and protocols and change. And also knowing that I'm at a place um, that's going to be supportive of that work. Um, so I just recently, about a year ago, moved to a new position. And I had a talk with those, um, the, the folks who were making the decisions. And I said, look, this is all the things that I'm doing. And these are the things that I want to do. And do you feel like I'm a good fit for this organization? Can you support this sort of work? Um, you know, even navigating the time uh, schedule for your clinic, how much productivity you will be expected to do mm -hmm. um, in terms of, you know, securing your salary each year. So there are lots of things that um, nuances that a lot of new grads are navigating. And so and when a recruiter is aware of that and can kind of help um, answer some of those questions, I think it's definitely a bonus. I think it's also a great question for recruiters to ask candidates. What is your professional mission? What's your vision for your practice? Um, you know, I think that would would spark a lot of interesting conversation and and get both uh, organizations and providers thinking about what's important to them and, and whether an opportunity is a good fit. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree. Some people want to be busy. You know, they want to come somewhere and they want to be busy right away. Mm -hmm. Well, I was too busy in my last position. So I came and I said, you know, I really need to spend time with my patients. I need to, you know, to, to do a lot of patient education. I need to get to know these patients. So I really want, I was very specific about the number of patients I wanted to see in a day, um, you know, this the, the times that I wanted to do surgery, the times that I wanted to be on call. All of that is something um, that goes into creating the type of lifestyle that you want so that you can be uh, happy for the long haul. You know, people talk a lot about burnout physician burnout. And OB is a high burnout field because of the, the lifestyle and the hours that we work. So, you know, really creating that, um, you know, finding the position where you fit best and really creating the lifestyle you want is, is, is really key to longevity in this field. Yeah, and that, that's actually such a good point. And one of the things I love to chat a little bit about are 
some of the trends that recruitment professionals and organizations should keep in mind when they're searching for an OBGYN physician. And you mentioned burnout, and that's such a big trend in, in the physician world and in healthcare overall. So Dr. Fontenoy, I'll come back to you and, and see um, if you'd be able to talk to us a little bit about trends um, that you're seeing in the field and, and that we should be aware of. So uh, one of the trends um, that I have seen is a trend to increase the number of physicians uh, in rural areas. Um, I have been a part of um, ACOG and um, in our district, we have been um, working on projects to increase the number of OBGYNs in rural areas because of the maternal mortality rate. Um, and because of access for our patients. So um, there are some residency programs that are actually developing rural tracts where they have residents come out to rural areas um, and practice and learn how to um, work in those areas because it is very different coming from a larger city and training in a larger city and um, starting a position in a rural area. Um, it was a, you know, a culture shock for me initially coming from New York and then going to um, and then coming out to rural Minot, North Dakota as my first job. Um, so um, developing those uh, rural tracks will help more residents to be able to have a seamless transition into uh, practicing in a rural area. So um, a recruiter may look at that and be able to say, hey, you did this, uh, um, this track, and maybe I should uh, look for more jobs in areas where you would be a better fit. So looking for that candidate to fit in those areas so that they don't just come here for six months or a year and then leave because um, they're not enjoying it. Um, and then uh, another trend would be um, training-wise, um, minimally invasive training, robotic surgical training. Like I said, I was looking for a place where I could uh, use my robotic skills and do a lot of minimally invasive surgeries. Um, and uh, you won't catch a robot at every small rural hospital, but um, you can find those places if you just uh, ask. And a recruiter should be able to bring that out and ask those questions questions uh, to those um, looking for uh, candidates. I'm so happy to hear that that uh, ACOG and, and the association are, are um, building a rural track because I know we have a lot of members that recruit for rural or underserved areas and you know recruiting physicians to a rural area in general is challenging but um, you know, OBGYN continues to be one of those areas um, that, that proves to be, a, you know, more difficult to recruit for a specialty. So they'll be happy to hear that, um, you know, that ACOG is, is working and, and understands the needs of those communities. Dr. Baker, what about you? How, what trends are you seeing in, in the practice? Um, one thing I would say is that um, we're seeing larger and larger groups 
uh, being formed, larger and larger groups of OBs. So, you know, groups can be anywhere from four to 10 people. And, and that's really, I think, um, an answer to the lifestyle of being on call, you know, every other night or multiple nights a week uh, and, and being on call several weekends a month. So the larger the call groups, um, you know, the, the more um, attractive it seems to be to folks who are being recruited because they know they're not going to be the only person. Um, most people are not um, like me. I actually moved to a place, a rural place where I was the only person <laughs> for a while. And that was a little, that was a little harrowing, um, especially given that I had, had not you know, I'd only been out of training a couple of years. So um, there was a huge culture shift, like Dr. Fotler mentioned, of coming from Atlanta to a small rural Georgia hospital and, you know, not having 24-hour um, on-call anesthesia, or, or we had 24-hour on-call anesthesia, but they weren't in-house, mm -hmm. uh, nor was our surgery team in-house. And so if there were emergencies, people had to come in from home. And there were many a times where I had to get involved with even, you know, getting the equipment, setting things up, because I was working with folks who were coming in from home. So there are lots of things, lots of nuances that you really... Um, need to to investigate and look into and see if you're what your comfort level is uh, with those things um in addition i hear a lot I, I spend a lot of time on social media which is probably not a good thing but in mom <laughs> groups and hearing moms talk about their experiences and what they're what's happening in the clinics and at the hospitals and so these larger groups may mean that the person who actually delivers that mama um, is not the person that she knows, or she may have never met them. They may not even work in her doctor's office, but it's such a huge call group that she's kind of get, you know, getting the luck of the draw. And, and that seems to be a dissatisfier for the, for the groups for sure. Um, but there's such a fine line um, between um, your patient relationships and you having a, a life. Let's just, uh, you know, say it plainly. Mm -hmm. um, and so another trend that we're seeing now is laborists. And these are OBGYNs who are in-house and they work a 24-hour shift and they don't necessarily have a private clinic outside of that, but they're there to take care of women who are in labor um, or women who have emergencies or even GYN emergencies that come in through the ER. And so I've got an opportunity to work part-time with them. So I'll do with the laborists at my hospital a couple of shifts per month and that's all the call that I take. And so um, that has been really interesting to see the reactions of patients and the hospital staff to having someone there. And I think that uh, it really improves safety and it, 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 at our institution, particularly, we've seen a decrease in C-section rate because, you know, you're not having a person who's been up three nights in a row and worked in the office all day who has to have patience for you to make it to a 3 a.m. <laughs> delivery, you know? So giving that additional time and, and having someone who's right there so you don't feel so harried and rushed um, during clinic or getting up in the middle of the night. And, and so I think that that has been a, a really wonderful trend. Um, again, the relationship kind of suffers, but I think that for me, when I decided to um, pick up, to choose a new position last year, that was a big satisfier to know that someone's there and I don't have to have those, you know, 
white knuckle drives in the middle of the night to get to patients for an emergency so that I can like maybe arrive alive. So yeah. I think that's <laughs> the, the laborist trend and the trend of the larger groups is something that I've been seeing. And, and I hope that in being thoughtful about recruitment that we don't just put a warm body in a position, put someone who's going to be able to thrive um, in that location and in that particular hospital system. I think that's really the biggest message that I would give to recruiters, like really find the right person because otherwise you'll be recruiting next year for the same position, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and have to start all over. So really try to find people that you think will be a good fit for that particular community. Um, like Dr. Fauntleroy said, robotics is a big thing. People like the robot. I didn't have one at my my hospital where I was working in rural Georgia. So when I moved, I, that was one thing I checked on. So now I'm actually getting to, to do robotics. And so um, if there are things, specific things that uh, OB or GYN wants to, um, to start to have experience with or to train on, that can also be really um, attractive. Those can really, those things can attract them to, to positions that you're recruited for. Fantastic. Um, Dr. Fauntleroy, are there other tips or words of advice that you can offer recruiters and organizations to think about um, as they start recruiting for OBGYN? The, the first thing I will say is know your candidate. I cannot stress that more. Get to know your candidate on a professional level. Get to know your candidate on a personal level. If your candidate has, you know, uh, a partner and children, you know, they may not want to go to certain areas that are not um, that are not conducive to that lifestyle. Um, so helping them to um, go to places that are a better fit for them, knowing the facility that they are recruiting for is very important too. Um, knowing what that facility offers, um, knowing um, what questions to ask both the facility and the candidate to match them to the right uh, position is very important. Um, one of the things that uh, when I was looking for my first uh, place of employment out of residency, um, I literally gave my recruiter a list of, I'm not walking in the door for less than this. I have loans that I need to pay off. I have things that, you know, goals that I want to do. I want to be uh, able to spend time with my patients. I don't want to be rushed. Um, I would like a lifestyle where I'm able to have enough time off to travel because that was um, I work very hard. And so, you know, I'm one of those people that will grind, 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 grind. And then when I need my vacation, I'm off. Like, I don't need anything else. I just need my vacation. I need my time to myself with my family. And so I needed a place that would understand that. The other thing that was important to me too um, was involvement in ACOG um, as I do advocacy work. Um, so when I interviewed at my current job, the um, director of our department uh, was actually the North Dakota section chair um, and told me he, you know, if I came here, he would support me in the work that I do with ACOG. So that was very important to me too. 
Um, so those are just a couple of things to, for recruiters to um, look at uh, when they are trying to place a candidate. That's great. And, and I love that you touched on how important it is for all of the in-house recruitment professionals to have very candid upfront conversations with candidates and for practices to also have those conversations both in terms of you know, professional goals, professional needs, and then the personal goals and, and personal needs. Um, so I, you know, I definitely want to make sure that we emphasize that. Dr. Baker, what what advice can can you give us? What other words of wisdom um, can you offer recruitment professionals? I would certainly say um, again look for the right person for the position that's going to thrive there. Um, and also looking at things outside of the hospital, right? Because your life this is not completely lived inside the hospital or the practice, but are there good schools? Are there things that you can take your kids to? Um, are there strong faith communities? Are there, um, you know, any attractions that are nearby that you can um, access? So those are also things that are very important to people because, you know, yes, we are OBGYNs, but we're people first. And many of us have partners and families and um, we need to have a way, you know, my husband has to be able to have something to do. And, you know, so you got to think about all those things too. So think about, the entire person and matching them with the right locale and with the right practice. Um, I also would advise too, if you have someone that you already previously recruited to that program or even um, a, a OB that you uh, have befriended that you know who really loves it, uh, maybe even hooking those two folks up to talk about, you know, what kind of volume are you seeing? What kind of surgery? Uh, what kind of OB versus GYN? What kind of things are going on? Um, because that may be things that the recruiter may not necessarily have access to, but finding a doc that can really explain how things go in that clinic and in that hospital, how um, administration is and, you know, kind of what, um, what things that person can can expect. And I know that was one thing I wanted to do was I wanted to meet all the doctors before uh, I came and I wanted to just see if there was collegiality and, and, and teamwork. Um, and so those things can all be important. And I think that as you work with candidates who have done this a few times, they're usually able to be very specific with what their needs are. And that's so helpful to a recruiter um, and maybe even developing some sort of uh, you know, conversation that you have talking points and you know, hey, I need to ask about this, 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 and this, and, and really um, kind of picking their brains to see what it is they really want. I think a great recruiter sometimes can tell you what you want um, yeah. <laughs> um, can, because they've gotten a chance to talk to you and to know you. I recall my first job out of residency, the recruiter they had was excellent. I mean, she was just really good. And she even found me like, she's like, this is where you can live. And this is, you know, she had everything um, down pat. So that, um, that, that relationship with your recruiter is, is really um, important to, to you joining that particular position. 
Well, that's so nice to hear. We, you know, I think recruiters um, fill a lot of roles, you know, recruiter, therapist, yes, you know, community advocate. <laughs> I recall um, one of my colleagues and I actually went to the same hospital out of residency and something happened. I think they went to lunch and maybe some wine. I don't know if there was wine or mud or something got done to her shoes. The recruiter knew of like a fast fix place so that she could have her shoe repaired before going to dinner with the CEO. So the recruiter was just amazing at this hospital. So when you can really tap into the needs of someone and, and match those needs up with particular positions, that's when you really got something special. That's such good words of, of wisdom and advice. Um, I want to thank you both so much for taking the time to talk to us. Um, and also a big thanks to ACOG for helping to put this conversation together. Um, before we wrap up, any final thoughts or, or words of wisdom you'd like to share with our members? I, you know, I will say that the recruiter that I use to find my current position um, the reason that I appreciate him and that I, you know, wrote him a thank you note and that I am still in the same job that I've been in since I left residency um, was because, you know, number one, he listened to me. Um, he made everything seamless for me. I, he followed up with me. If I didn't, you know, reach out or do something with a contract or something, he's, he was on top of it. And, you know, trying to finish up residency, I was pregnant at the time. I was trying to buy a house. I was trying to plan my wedding. I was trying to do so many things at the same time. And, you know, he stayed on top of everything professionally for me. And I really appreciated that because, you know, I, I feel like he is the reason why that I am in this job and that I love the job that I do and where I am at this point um, because he really listened to me and he put me where I asked to be. So I would say um, building that relationship, um, understanding your candidate and um, further, uh, furthermore, um, understanding that as a new graduate, you may not know what you want. You may not know where you're going, but um, having those provoking conversations, provoking thoughts of what your ultimate goal is, is um, something that um, he did for me. And um, I really appreciate it. So there are great recruiters out there um, that really know what they're doing and that will put you where you need to be. Thank you so much. Dr. Baker, any closing thoughts? so important in the life of, of a physician. So don't ever discount what you're doing. Um, you're not just hustling jobs, but you're actually helping people design their lives. Um, and, and the position that you place is going to touch so many people um, in that community. So, you know, take it, take it seriously and do it with pride because a good recruiter is, I mean, you just can't can't do without them if you're looking for positions. So um, I'm so happy that we got a chance to have this conversation. And I um, hope that any recruiter who hears it will um, be inspired to just be like the goat of all recruiters. <laughs> I love that. I, I think that's a perfect end to note, uh, uh, perfect uh, note to end on, uh, which is, you know, to, to be the GOAT, be the greatest recruiter of all time. And um, 
Thank you so much. I know our members are really going to appreciate hearing that, you know, the work that they do um, with physicians is, is really felt by those physicians and does make a difference, not only to their communities and to the lives of, of the patients within those communities, but also to the lives of the physicians that, you know, we're welcoming into the practices and communities. So, um, again, thank you both so much for, for taking the time to chat with us today and huge thanks to ACOG again for putting all of this together and uh, we'll see you back here at our specialty podcast soon. Thanks for listening to this episode in our specialty recruitment library. And of course, thank you to our association partners for taking the time to speak with us. Remember to check back as we add new episodes and specialties. And for more tools and resources, be sure to check out the AAPPR resource library at aappr.org slash resource library.